0: Alright, so I'm parked outside the legendary Billy Goat, right across from Tribune Tower. In my Mazda 3 is the Reverend Horton Heat. We've got some burgers. We're gonna eat. We're gonna talk about the Rev's career. But I should mention, if you switch to Boost Mobile, your taxes and fees are included on all plans. Plus, get two lines with three gigs of 4G LTE per line for just 50 bucks. It's all on the fast and reliable Sprint Nationwide network. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save. Reverend Horton Heat, Jim Heath, are you ready? I'm ready. It's
1: car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And now here's the star of our show. James Van
0: Aster. All right, so we're recording this. Reverend Horton Heat is right here. We've got burgers from Billy Goat. We're recording this at the tail end of a massive stand here in chicago you love this town this town oh
1: yeah oh yeah this is a great great city it really is and you know i mean if you if you look at the what's the number one city in the world i mean if if, chicago's either got to be that or number two you know i mean it's the best in the world so yeah we love it and the people are great here and friendly and um you know, it's it's everything you'd never want in a big city.
0: <laughs> so we're eating Billy Goat burgers. You've never been here. There, there's so much history. I warned you before we ordered, just ask for a double. Because mm. you asked for a burger, and right away she said, the double, it's thin patties, you should get that. They, they won't suffer single burger orders here at Billy Goat. It's mm. on the menu, but they don't even... Yeah. And, who you know, who are you to argue? Right. Wrong. Well, win and wrong, Give me right? a double, that's right. <laughs> Give me a okay. double. <laughs> uh, and this all reminds me of Let Me Teach You How to Eat, a song <laughs> from the most recent rev album that video by the way you've got like hot pinup girls in in the kitchen eating food isn't that why you got into rock and roll in the first place to be able to make a video like that absolutely yes Uh uh-huh. <laughs> that's it singing about food hot pinup girls that's right done right. and done
1: it's rock and roll man
0: when i think about the reverend horton heat uh, that video actually is a perfect springboard I think about American culture. I feel like you're a student and a fan of American culture, but American culture going back several decades. I mean, whether it's musically, aesthetically, the clothes you wear on stage. I mean, there, there's a certain era and style
1: that the Reverend Horton Heat represents. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, well that's right. I'm very influenced by mid-century stuff. So, the music, rockabilly, like rockabilly music mm-hmm. from the '50s. But fifties music in general, but then all this, all the other stuff, surf guitar music as well as the country music, but then the cars and the atomic furniture and mm-hmm. the mid-century modern houses and Frank Lloyd Wright and 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 all the kitschy type of appliances and and stuff that were in people's kitchens and you know were really cool back then. So I, I'm just really enamored with the whole era. And when I think about the songs you
0: cover on stage, whether it's Chuck Berry or Motorhead or Johnny Cash, I, I realize that is your DNA.
1: Yep. Well, you mentioned Motorhead, but that's English. But, but, but no. I mean, that,
0: that energy, that kind of rawness.
1: But but the beat of that song is very similar to to a, an American bluegrass type of a thing. So, uh, oh, yeah, you know, I'm... I, 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 I can't remember who all you just named, but Chuck John, Berry, Johnny Cash, but Johnny Cash and oh yeah, we did a Chuck Berry song last night. We, uh, Johnny Cash uh, is we we got to play a show and meet Johnny Cash one time and
0: uh now, hang on, what
1: was, was that scary. like? Uh, it Was kind of scary. It was epic. It was, but he was real nice, and his uh, and June Carter was real nice, and uh, he talked to us for for a minute, and then June Carter came and grabbed him by the ear and and dry, and start, pulled him out while he was still talking to us. That's amazing. Like, Come on, we have to go. Come on, we have to go. And he just followed her out. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Now, uh-huh. do you remember going back to... You pretty much knew you were going to have a career in rock and roll dating back to when you were a teenager. What was the first song you learned how to play on guitar? Well, when you picked up that first
1: Gretsch, or whatever your first guitar was. It wasn't a Gretsch. It was an old <laughs> Stella. But the thing was is that my cousins played... And, I, and my, I had a cousin that came, uh, he was on leave from Vietnam, he was a, a Marine, and he was pretty wild, and he'd saved up his money, bought a Camaro, and it had an eight-track player, and he took me for a ride and he came to visit us, and I must have been about 10 years old, and I think he was driving 80 miles an hour down Staples Street in Corpus Christi. It, it was crazy how fast he was driving but he was playing an eight track tape of uh, live at Folsom prison with John, when Johnny Cash mm-hmm. or I, I, it was, it was one of those live ones. I'm not mm-hmm. exactly sure mm-hmm. on an eight track in his car. And I heard Johnny Cash singing Folsom prison blues. And I heard the reaction of the, I was 10 years old. So I didn't really know about lyrics yet, but it, I really learned the power of lyrics when he would, you know, sing a line and about, you know, i you know, shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. And the crowd, you know, those prisoners were like, yeah, you know, (laughs) like it just all came to life, this whole lyrical thing. And so that was the first song I wanted to learn to play. And I tried to learn off the record. I thought I was learning how to play like Johnny Cash. Mm -hmm. And really I was learning, trying to learn how to play guitar like Luther Perkins. I didn't realize, (laughs) didn't realize that at the time, but but anyway, I have a cousin that that could play it, and I, he remembers me being, you know, ten or eleven years old, saying, "Do that again, do that again, do it again," because I was trying to learn how to. He was trying to show me how to play it, you know. But that's that's the first one, and well, I, I love your lyrics and the power
0: of the lyric. You also have a lot of fun. The the songs you write, there there is definitely a great sense of humor throughout. One of my favorite lyrics you've ever written, and you'll probably never hear anyone else say this death metal guys, rockabilly guys, like Mm -hmm. rockabilly chicks, death metal guys think they're all country hicks, Uh, but death metal guys still live with their mom on the internet learning how to embalm. (laughs) That's that's it. And that's why rockabilly culture, why the culture that you represent is so awesome. (laughs) It's just, you know, when I listen to the Reverend Horton Heat, I want to drive fast, I want to get laid, I want to get drunk. That's what the Reverend Horton Heat does for me. Yeah, just don't do all those at the same time. You have to be be careful about how you you schedule all that, but yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe. That's rock and roll, though, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh Oh, good.
0: (laughs) You know, as someone who's worked in radio forever, radio has never really known what to do with Reverend Horton Heat. The irony is, your music is compatible with dozens of rock genres, but I
1: feel like radio's never been able to figure you out. Uh Am I crazy? Yeah, that's crazy, but uh, I'm glad you brought that up, I appreciate it, because it it, it has been a little bit of a a problem with my career, but in some ways, you know, we, we fly under the radar, and it's been good, because we never really got the big hit that vaulted us to some kind of magnificent success, but at the same time... We just slowly, under the radar, kept kind of getting bigger and bigger, and we've able, been able to have a great career, and mm-hmm. uh, without naming names, we're at a point now where we have platinum-selling bands that, older bands that come out and open up for us now, you know, so, you know, we're still, we're still vital, and uh, so, Absolutely. Even, yeah. It's, it's been a little disappointing, but it but it, in the big scheme of things, it might have been a blessing, you know. So. Well, and yeah, I mean, you've had such incredible longevity. And what is,
0: I guess, what's the secret to that tenacity? Just not giving up. Yeah, and never never give up. Never give up. I was talking before we started recording this about your last album, Rev. One of my favorite songs, and I was hoping I'm sure you've told the story a dozen times. One of my favorite songs on the album is "Spooky Boots." can you tell the story oh
1: okay yeah well that we were excuse me we were playing a show in uh, santa fe new mexico and there was this old old biker guy that came to see us every time we were in santa fe and he was a short guy who had some type of a of a, a disability you know he was a biker but he was kind of a small he wasn't atypical but anyway long story short he was there and he sat down with me at when they were feeding us after sound check, and nobody was there, you know, it was before the show and he started telling me, he goes, yeah, he goes, yeah, I had this girl and, and, uh, you know, she was, it's the best girlfriend I ever had. He said, she took care of me. He goes, you know, I, I have some kind of a hard time getting dressed and she'd even help me get dressed and all this other stuff. And, and and she was just the greatest ever. And, uh, and, um, he said, uh, he goes, yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, man, I, I've been, I go up to the, the town square every Saturday looking for her, because I think she left me, she le- he, the his girlfriend left him. And so I go up to the town square where all the, sh- the stores are and I th- keep thinking I'm going to see her. I go there every Saturday. And, uh, so I was start, I started thinking about it. I said, uh, well, I said, well. You know, I was about to give him one of these kind of guy-to-guy things. You know, man, maybe it's time to you know let let it go. You mm-hmm. know, and so I said, "Well, how long has it been?" And uh, he said, "Well, he goes, she left in 1969." <laughs> so I was just like thinking, well. It's kind of pointless to tell him yeah. to let it go now. I mean, he's come all these years, keeping doing that. <laughs> I mean, and, I, and, and I said, "Well, what's her name?" And, and he goes, "Well, I, he goes. I never, I never knew her real name. I, everyone just called her Spooky Boots." That's amazing. And so, I...
0: <laughs> that's amazing.
1: Uh-huh. So, after he tells
0: you that story, it's one of those things where you just you look at him and you slowly walk backward, like, "Okay, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah oh, I was, yeah, I well, didn't, good, I good didn't, luck. luck, yeah, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Best wishes, bro.
1: Yeah.
0: So Texas has a profound amount of blues music coming out of it. We're here in Chicago. How important is the blues to you? It just
1: even recreationally, to say nothing of the music you write. Well, that's another connection with, with Chicago. Is that um, when I was a kid, I was riding my bicycle to the to the record store. And I must have been about ten or twelve, and I was trying to play guitar. And I was probably going to buy—I was probably going there to buy a Black Sabbath or an Alice Cooper album.
0: (laughs) be careful, because if we start talking about Alice Cooper, this interview will never end. I'll I'll talk for like two hours. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah. Be careful. So let's just say it was a
1: Sabbath album. Okay. It was Master of Reality. I went in there, and the guy had this—he was playing blues on in, in the store and i and i think it was Sonny boy williamson or howlin wolf i'm not sure i barely remember but i just and i was like thinking to myself man this is scarier than black sabbath right so I was, what is that he goes it's you know it's howlin wolf kid you know and he goes, hey come over here and then, so i started looking he had a, he had a great you know um uh, supply of of Records and a lot of them were chess records, the Chicago thing. Sure. You know, the chess records reissues were hitting big in the the mid seventies, early seventies, and uh, so um, I, uh, st- I I walked out with a Sonny Boy Williamson and a Buddy Guy album, and so I was off to the races. That's know, amazing. So, yeah, so um, I started playing those and trying to learn the licks. And I got a book, and uh, I was actually taking guitar lessons. My parents got me some guitar lessons, and I'd only done about six of them when I met a kid in school that was a—he was a classical player. But he goes, "Oh, you like blues?" He goes, "Hey, look at this!" And he could play ninth chords, and so he showed me how to play ninth chords, and that just all of a sudden it just came into you know the whole sliding ninth chord. Slow blues thing came, and I quit taking guitar lessons because I was just off learning off the records myself. And so, uh, yeah, but no, the the but yeah, the, that's that's the one thing in Chicago that I've never done that I've got to go, I've got to go to see uh, Chess. Well, here's the thing: I Chicago is this blues mecca. I feel like
0: Chicago pays a lot of lip service to the blues, but we don't do enough to prop it up. Like you would think that the chess building would be this wonderful museum space, this wonderful source for blues information, it's really not. It's not even on, like, the tourist radar. Oh, wow. And mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a shame, because I would think when you go through O'Hare, you'd be hearing Buddy Guy playing through the, the sound system. Or, mm-hmm. Like, I feel like if you fly into Austin, you're surrounded by music in the airport. Yeah. Chicago, not so much.
1: That's right, that's right. Well, they, they should get with the program, because yes. that's what a lot of people worldwide think of when they think of Chicago. They don't you know let's face it people in um in germany they don't care about the chicago cubs or the chicago bears you and
0: know, honestly, they don't know
1: who they don't really probably even know who michael jordan is They're Right. so but they know who little walter and sonny boy williamson and chuck berry are and so yeah. so you know people also think of
0: really fattening food when it comes to chicago uh, how's that mm-hmm. burger treating it it's great. I haven't even been into, been into mine. They're on these giant Kaiser rolls, so the, the yeah. meat's almost like hidden. Uh-huh. And once you get in there, there's something to be said for that
1: thin griddle burger. Mm-hmm. Like I mm-hmm. like a big juicy
0: burger, sure, but there's something about that kind of like diner burger, that just hits the spot.
1: Yeah, really, it's great. It's really awesome. Thank you for bringing me here. Have you had the the nerve to try
0: barbecue in the Midwest, or is it something that's so sacrosanct in your world that you wouldn't even dream of it?
1: Well, no, because barbecue one great thing about that is is it's a great part of americana because it it changes in the different regions you know Mm -hmm. so in texas it's all about um brisket and sausage Mm -hmm. well you get up to memphis and it's more it's it's all about pork pork Mm -hmm. but they still do good brisket there too but the sauces change a little bit, you know. In Texas, it's a it's a spicier, sweet sweet and spicier. But then you get up to Kansas City, and uh, it's it's got a little bit less of a spice to it. But it's it, it's still real good. I mean, it's you know it's it's a just a little bit different. It's a different style when you get to that region. I love going to Arthur Bryant's in Kansas City, or you know, that they got some. Good barbecue there That was so. my
0: first experience Going to a real barbecue place I was going to school in Lawrence We went to Arthur Bryant's It was super late at night Served from behind Bulletproof glass mm-hmm. in a Styrofoam <laughs> container The white bread that, That's great experience mm-hmm. I love that Now in Chicago I mean, Up until not all that long ago Chicago was all about Rib tips and links mm. It was very much a south side of Chicago thing
1: Okay
0: Alright so you're working On new stuff Which hopefully we'll hear Next year Mhm, which is awesome. And Reverend Horton Heat never stops.
1: No, no, <laughs> it just gets harder and harder and harder. I mean, it's as does it really? Well, because I well, I wouldn't say harder. Because you I, but see, Reverend Horton busier, Heat on stage, you, know?
0: you're, you look like you're having a good time every time. Mhm. Well,
1: excuse me. This burger is great. Uh huh. Thanks, but I finally finished it off there, but. No, the thing about about me is that I actually enjoy playing music more now than I did when I was younger, and the reason is is because now, when I was when 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 you're younger and the band is is starting out, you know, you, you, if you, whenever you play a gig, it's there's this pressure. It's like, um, you know, wow, this is we're we're in Chicago, we're playing at Lounge Jacks. We better play good so they have us back here at Lounge Jacks and. Then you're thinking about all that instead of just thinking about the music and having a good time. And then a year, a few years later, it was like, "Wow, you know, Tony Ferguson from Interscope's going to be here. We better play good so we can get a record deal." And and by now, none of that matters. You know, it's just it's like forget any of that. We're up here having a good time, and uh, and we're and it's 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 a lot more enjoyable now. The, the flip side is I, I don't enjoy the traveling as much mm-hmm. because it's it's kind of hard on my body. It's just kind of a hard thing physically to do, and uh, that gets a little bit old, you know. So now when we pull into New York City, or just say, look, leave me at the hotel in Jersey. You guys go on in. I'm going to get a cab in there when, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I have to play the gig. So I'm a, I'm, I am I guess I'm a little bit of a pansy about it now, you know, but, but
0: traveling is hard.
1: It's yeah, it's great hard. once you get there, but mm-hmm.
0: but the experience of flying and if you're on a bus, oh my god, it's grueling.
1: Yeah, it's but you know, in some ways I'm used to it, in some ways I'm not. But you know, I'm so lucky to do what I do, and uh, like I said, I enjoy playing playing music more than ever. So uh, it's all good. It's all good. You know, you mentioned Interscope. <laughs> that that mid 90s, that early
0: to mid 90s period was just nuts for record companies for bands, <clears throat> and there was that pressure. We got to get a record deal. You put out Liquor in the Front, worked with Al Jorgensen, another Chicago connection. Uh-huh. What was that like? Because Al was, I think, at peak Al Jorgensen at that time.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, he
0: was. I mean, his studio was essentially Sodom
1: and Gomorrah. Yeah, yeah. And it scared us. Uh, I'll be frank with you. It scared us. <laughs> We're pretty rowdy ourselves, but, I mean, no, I, you know, I, without getting into the... Uh, the uh, the extreme details of that uh, there's not really much way to even really talk about that session much, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, Al's a character, you know, but you know what, he's all about freedom, you know, I mean, one, you know, I'm not an anarchist, but one great thing about anarchy is that, you know, it's people are free, you know, and so I'm, I am about freedom. So, uh, Mm -hmm. So Al Al and you know he's uh, he he helped us a lot on that album and so um, you know I uh, I owe him a debt of gratitude for for helping us on that project so and some of those
0: songs still stick out in my head I mean yeah write and oh. do it I mean
1: uh-huh. yeah great good. sonically yeah. a
0: little different from the rest of the I mean you can feel Jorgensen's influence on uh-huh. on what he did with your vocals and everything but right still some I mean, there's some good songwriting on there.
1: Well, thanks. Yeah, no, no. It was it was it was a, 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 a good album, but uh, it, it was it was kind of a process that was a little bit hard. To, you know, Al does his own thing, and so basically, toward the end of the session, he wasn't listening to anything we were saying at all. You know, so <laughs> amazing. Good. All right,
0: all right uh, before I cut you loose, I do want to read the Boost Mobile social media message of the week. I had stabbing westward in the car a few episodes ago, uh, who came out. Around the same time, uh, is uh-huh. liquor in the front? Uh, from this is from listener Noah. Why was Christopher from Stabbing Westward so angry? Doesn't time heal all wounds? Christopher was talking about things that didn't work or connect for the band in the nineties. It's hard to hold grudges in music. I mean, it's not worth it, is it? No, it's you, not. You don't worth strike it at me all. as someone who would hold a grudge.
1: Yeah. Well, no. You know, I can. I can be a little bit vindictive, and I pray that I can get better about that. But no, I, I, uh, I, I just, yeah. It, it, that it just it just sets yourself back. You know, I never like to look back. I like to look forward because, you know, you really never know how things would have been. You know, mm-hmm. you could have, you know, kind of like I was just saying. You know, maybe we. Maybe our record went platinum and, and we were I had all these hit songs and all that, but then all of a sudden the the fallback from that could have been the death knell of my band and I would not even be a musician now. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, you, you can never tell what would have happened, you know. So there's no point in holding a grudge. If somebody, you know, if somebody, you know, says something about... Uh, you know mean about Reverend Horton Heath and I don't forget it but I <laughs> I don't let it you know might and and some of those are some of my best stories you know the Dallas Observer my wife called me uh, we were about to go on stage in front of 10,000 people headlining a festival at Key Arena in downtown Seattle and in Key Arena I mean it was big yeah. and, and and my wife called me and said, uh, have you heard about what the Dallas Observer just wrote about you? And I was like going, no. And she read it to me and it was all about how my career had been over for for a decade. And it was just sad that I'm still out there trying to, you know, make this whole thing work. It's infuriating. And, 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 you know, well, because from a journalistic standpoint, it was the exact opposite. I, I was like, I couldn't let her read the whole thing to me because I had to go play in front of 10,000 people. Right. You know, and so, it. you know, from a journalistic standpoint, it, it's, it, you know, so, the, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, they could have called me on the phone and found out that we're doing all this stuff, you or, know, yeah. but instead they made up something. They just made up what they, they thought they just in fit their head.
0: Their idea into whatever narrative uh-huh. that was. Well, this kind of brings up one more question. How have you responded to the Internet as... A way of bringing your audience closer to you. Are you do you embrace that? I mean, it, it, things are so different now. You talk about surviving in the music industry as long as you have. Your fans have greater access now than they did when they're standing in front of the stage watching you at Lounge Acts just through social media
1: yeah maybe but you know i and i should be better at social media you know it's probably because of my age that i'm you know these younger well people, you're 42 younger people are uh, yeah thank you <laughs> but yeah plus 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 about two or three years on that one but anyway no <laughs> no i should be better at social media but it does it you know i mean there's it is interesting, and and I do enjoy you know getting good positive feedback that that I can get off of that, and 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 being able to have the you know the fans you know let us know you know their feelings about the band, and and it it it's it's encouraging. So mm-hmm. that's really nice because you know i mean without you know the, the the wild applause is really why why you know you play music you like the 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 immediacy of the live thing but uh but having that encouragement uh you know from social media that's nice too and so you know yeah it's it's a whole different world and everybody you know in the music business talks about this pretty much every day about where things are going and uh, and i've made some predictions that have been wildly wrong about <laughs> what would happen with all this stuff you know so uh you know for one thing about the the internet and uh, is that is that now a lot of young players have access to to the vintage music that I like, mm-hmm. m- way more than I did when I everything was everything ever made. Up. It, it's right there, if you right. Know. So you know, by the time by the time I really wanted to start learning to play uh, Cliff Gallup licks off the Gene Vincent and The Blue Cap, those albums were already collector items. So right, they were already fifty bucks, and here I'm going to be dropping a needle on the thing over and over to try to learn those licks. So. It was it, it, it. Now you just have you have access to all of that, and and so it, it's it's really going to help musicians a lot, and it, and it is. That's a great know, point. So.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking in terms of, you know, you're not making music for you know to get a record deal or to you know play that whole music industry game. You're really doing it for the fans now. And so when a fan on, let's say, Facebook or Twitter or wherever says, you know, I was having a really shitty time in my life, I put on its martini time, turn me around, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I, I've got to think makes it great to be an artist.
1: Hey, absolutely. It makes it great to be an artist. And, uh, you know, well, I get those stories every night. You know, every night somebody tells me, we we danced at a wedding to your song In Your Wildest Dreams. And, oh, man. And that somebody was saying that last night. And. And, uh, so, uh, you know, that kind of thing happens and it's, 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 it's heartfelt. It's, it's a nice thing. Well, Jim, Reverend Horton Heat, you are an American classic. Thanks for sharing cheeseburgers in my car. Well, thank you for having me. That was really excellent. I, I would, I wouldn't have come here today unless you'd have brought me and I'm so glad I did.